0: Today on Podcast by the Bay, we're talking teacher housing with the Executive Director of the Heart of San Mateo, and that's Armando Sanchez.
1: I think for the younger teachers, um, you need to develop on-campus housing at very affordable rates, like I said, anywhere from 1200 up to $2,000 plus uh, for a two-bedroom. And for more tenured teachers moving, looking to move on, I think you need to develop some kind of affordable housing program like what we have here at Heart. Uh, where you help them with a down payment
0: and also his perspective on how the tech industry is stepping up to address the housing crisis
1: but I, I think they've finally become aware of the impact they're having in the community and that they need to play a role in solving the housing problem so i think you're seeing facebook google genetech and other companies starting to step up and, and do more for housing all
0: coming up on today's episode of podcast by the bay stay tuned podcast by the bay is brought to you by highway soul productions check us out at highwaysoul.com, and in conjunction with liberty realty liberty realty serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at Podcast by the Bay at gmail.com. And now, another Podcast by the Bay. <laughs> Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre.
2: And this is Patrick.
0: And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us. And we thank you for downloading this episode and for spreading the word to all your friends. We definitely appreciate it. And so today, we're going to get back to some of the issues that are affecting us all and some of the issues that are affecting our region, our local level, and actually your statewide. And so today's issue we're going to talk about is teacher housing and really the overall housing issue, but really focusing on teacher housing. And we have a wonderful special guest that Patrick was able to interview, and that's uh, the executive director from the heart of San Mateo, And that is Armando Sanchez. So, Patrick, what is going on with the teacher housing right now? Why are we talking about this? Why is this such a big issue?
2: Well, you know, Andre, it's a big issue um, um, with teachers. As you know, uh, it is a crisis right now on the peninsula with one bedrooms running anywhere from $3,000 to $4,000 a month. Um, A school teacher's income, um, a starting teacher might be $4,400 a month. We want not only to to quantify the new teachers, but we want to also take a look at the teachers that have never been able to buy in the area um, over the last 10 or 15 or 20 years, too. So the crisis is not just new teachers, but it would be also established teachers. Some of them are coming out of the Bay Area from Gilroy, Stockton, all over the Bay Area, some 40 and 50 miles away. We've all seen stories in the Daily Journal and where the Daily Journal talks about how these teachers are deciding that they don't want to commute any longer, that they want to live in their own community. Um, the teachers thing has come to a flourishing. Um, the, uh, they had a recent town hall in the Bay Area, and the, the Armando Sanchez is the executive director of HART. Um, I spent about 35, 40 minutes with him. Uh, recently, he had a... Uh, a what I would say, a panelist or town hall discussion with uh, Supervisor Joe Semidian and the mayor, uh, Ray Mueller, um, in, um, in the peninsula talking about support. And they did it, I think, in Redwood City, the Sequoia School District area. Just to give a little familiarity with HART, HART is also known as the Housing Endowment and Regional Trust. HART is trying to provide money for accessory dwellings, home loans, developer loans, help first time buyers. We have to understand they're not building housing. What they're doing is is creating donation opportunities and working with people that they can maybe do more density housing. Uh, The teacher crisis is all over the board, meaning that there are some people in the San Jose maybe area... Or down, down in Mountain View area that may be not in support of teacher housing. Um, what we're, what they're looking at is campus housing. It's very familiar to some of you in the audience. We have it on Stanford University. We have it on the College of San Mateo. We have it on De Anza College. And I've heard it's going to be on Skyline College too. And this is housing for teachers. Uh, the focus on this is teachers. Obviously, our Bay Area schools are only as good as the teachers. Um, and we need to continue to make sure that the teachers have housing. We don't want to touch on anything else, but the, it's a bigger picture than just teachers. But teachers are real critical to the heart, the heart of San Mateo and Santa Clara County. And that's probably across the state, too. So I hope you listen closely to Armando Sanchez, a very innovative guy, um, a person that that, that he actually uh, has his heart and soul into this. He's been there around 10 years uh, Heart started around 2003 and I encourage our listeners to go on their website to find out about their programs because we're focusing on this interview on teacher housing and a few other issues
0: sounds good Patrick and we know uh, the teachers they've been in the news there was the Oakland strike right the teacher strike and so there's definitely the teachers are are right now in the forefront of the news and so we definitely appreciate Armando for making the time and for you Patrick to really go talk about the issues I think listening to the interview there's a wonderful array of topics but we're going to let the listeners check out the interview and hear all the topics and the discussion because it ties into a lot of things. Like you said, it's a bigger issue going on here. So with that, I think we're going to go ahead and get to the uh, Armando Sanchez, the executive director for the Heart of San Mateo, and to talk about teacher housing here on Podcast by the Bay. And so if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at Podcast by the Bay is our handle, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast by the Bay. Remember, you can listen to any of our shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week for free. And that's on all the podcast sites, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. Spotify is the new one. So we're on Spotify now. And so with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. So this is Andre.
2: And this is Patrick.
0: And we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned.
2: Welcome to podcast by the Bay. I have the honor of interviewing Armando Sanchez and he's with Hart. Hart uh, is a uh, organization of 5013 c 2 I think you're a nonprofit.
1: Yeah we, we are both a nonprofit organization and also a joint powers authority. We're actually governmental as well.
2: He's working on housing um, and housing subsidies to make uh, more affordability for housing. Why don't you tell them a little bit of background about yourself and how you became the director for HART?
1: Um, so, I, I've been the executive director of HART for three years now, and what we do here is we provide uh, pre development financing for major, uh, the development of major affordable housing projects, anywhere from 40 to 150 units. Uh, we also have a small first time home buyer program that's uh, earmarked towards. Uh, working-class uh, uh, families.
2: The Census Bureau in 2017 says San Mateo County has approximately 771,410. I don't know how accurate the census is, mm-hmm. but it's what we use as a barometer. Um, it's ever-expanding. I think currently we're probably c- pushing a little over 800,000 um, in, in California, or at least in San Mateo County. Um, the governor has said that the state of California, we need some... 3.5 million uh, housing units, uh, and we're not sure whether that housing is workforce housing, affordable housing, or senior housing. Uh, tell us what you're doing here, Armando, in San Mateo County, to help relieve some of the pressure for developers and for first-time home buyers.
1: Well, again, like I said, what, what we primarily do is we fund projects to get them started, get get off the ground. Um, generally. It takes a lot of money to build an affordable housing project, and what we do is we lend the initial uh, amount of funding that goes into a project anywhere from $500,000 to as much as three and a half, four million million, uh, to get the project started for the first two, three years until the project has the right to build, at which point uh, other funding sources come in uh, to create the project. So that's what the, one of the main things we do. Uh, over the past two years, we've probably made about... Uh, $9 million or so in loans to a number of projects. So we've been pretty active the last two years since I've started. In terms of first-time home buyer programs, it, it is uh, if you think back to the pre-bubble when you used to be able to get a first loan and then a second piggyback loan, that's essentially what we do, but with much more rigorous underwriting um, process. So we help people who don't have a down payment buy a home uh, and then they usually refinance and pay our loan back within three to five years, so we pay us, We we play a small role, but I, I, in such a housing crisis as we have, I think every role is critical, and our ability to advance as many as two hundred units a year um, is something that would that is absolutely helpful to those people who uh, benefit from it.
2: Back in uh, back uh, in the uh, early two thousand, the. Uh San Mateo County helped to fund you, um, and they funded you with a million dollars. Are they still kind of funding you a little bit here, and, and how much is San Mateo County's um, funding helping um, HART to get the word out to uh, first-time home buyers or developers? Yeah. Because it seems like what we're talking about is the majority of your money is to kind of subsidize um, or complement, so to speak, complement federal or state money on a development. So how is a development picked?
1: Well, generally it's picked by need and by how many units are being produced. So what what happens right now is uh, we have a trust fund with a certain amount of money, anywhere uh, from, depending how many loans we have outstanding, anywhere from $3 million to $10 million available, depending and so what happens generally is a developer says, we have this project, we want to advance it, uh, we need some money to uh, really get, get it designed and get it through the process through the city. Can you help us? So that's how they get picked. It's not, if there were, com, right, today we have not had an issue that uh, funding any project that comes to us. If we had s- multiple projects coming in and we only have a lim- limited amount of money, then we would obviously pursue the ones that have the most units at the most affordability. Uh, But to answer your question about how important the county has been is, as you stated, uh, almost 11 years ago, they provided the first million dollars to establish this organization uh, during the 2000 dot-com boom when we were in another housing crisis. So they provided that money. They got all the cities to become members of HART. And to this day, the county continues to be incredibly supportive with the passing of Measure K. They allocated $5 million to us for seven years uh, to make loans on it. We've already loaned that money out, and it's come back, and we're working on getting it out a second time. So uh, the the county, along with many other cities, have been tremendously helpful. Uh, The city of Colma recently, uh, they didn't have a lot of money, but uh, they had $230,000 just sitting around in housing money and we asked if we could borrow it, and they said sure. So uh, recently they approved to lend us that money, and we're hoping other cities uh, will do the same. Well,
2: you know, we uh, we talked earlier about how the uh, city of San Mateo and other cities had first-time affordable programs. We need to distinguish for our audience that what we're really working is subsidized rental units um, for below market. It's not a housing for purchase, but it's housing to live. Um, and one of the missions that you had on your, or your mission statement on your website is helping teachers afford to live where they work. Mm-hmm. I, I know we want to focus on teachers for a little bit. Um, um, if, and I think on your website you quoted a teacher making about 4400 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you do the old vernacular, and I've been in real estate for 40 years. Uh, we always used to say when you buy a home, you should your principal, interest, taxes, and insurance shouldn't be more than one third of your income. Right. The reality in my industry is that forty-five to fifty percent of your income is going to housing. Um, but the, the difference, obviously, from the home ownership is they get a tax deduction. They can deduct right. property taxes, interest, and some closing costs too. So the school teacher that makes forty-four hundred a month grows. By the time they net everything out they're probably going to be netting around probably a little bit less than three thousand dollars. So do you have any barometer on what do you think a teacher could afford? Um, we, and I want you to talk about a couple of the new developments which we were talking about whether it was in San Bruno or South San Francisco or mm-hmm. Daly City. Is there any numbers out there And what what is your feedback on so-called developing campus type of rental units?
1: So, you know, teachers like the rest of society um, are not all the same. There's a a huge gamut between where a new teacher just starting out is and where a more tenured teacher is in terms of their career and their income. And so you have a situation where New teachers coming in with one year, two years experience really need very cheap affordable housing because their salaries are extremely low. They need to be able to rent units at somewhere between um, $1,000 $1,200 for a one bedroom if they're living alone. And if they have a family, they they need to be able to afford a two bedroom for a kid uh, for their own child at somewhere around $1,800 or so, $2,000 for a two bedroom. Uh, more tenured teachers have a different need. Uh, they probably have a stable housing situation um, that's probably getting more expensive if they're renting, and they probably want owner, an ownership opportunity. So they have more money, and they're looking for a different type of product and assistance, and so you have to tailor the need for each of those teachers. I think for the younger teachers, um, you need to develop on-campus housing at very affordable rates. Like I said, if, anywhere from 1,200 up to 2,000 plus uh, for a two-bedroom. And for more tenure teachers moving, looking to move on, I think you need to develop some kind of affordable housing program, like what we have here at Hart, uh, where you help them with a down payment. Um, there's new models being developed out there. Some are, um, actually, they're not new. They've been used in the past, but they're, uh, they're being revived, which is um, equity sharing uh, opportunities and, and loans. So you need to look at those types of products to help those teachers that can uh, get permanent, secure ownership housing and help the younger teachers with more of the on-campus. Affordable. You know, you
2: bring up a good point. As I mentioned uh, to you, I do teach in the Sequoia School District there 's a thing called paraprofessionals, and these are people that work with kids at special needs or people with <laughs> challenges in the language. Um, do you think we should incorporate the paraprofessionals because obviously you, you made a very good point of saying there's probably a lot of teachers already that are senior teachers or journey journey people that have been there twenty or thirty years that already have their housing. Do you think we should also open the doors to some of those paraprofessionals to be able to live if the campus housing is successful?
1: Uh, Absolutely. And um, I I think that's what districts are doing. It's it's not just for teachers. It's for paraprofessionals. It's also for... um, Other administrative uh, types of staff, whether it be custodians or office workers. So uh, they're looking at the big picture. They're having a hard time attracting employees, not just in teachers, but in other levels as well. So they are being included in the conversation in terms of on-campus housing. Well,
2: that's great to hear. You know, um, as we all realize, Stanford University, College of San Mateo, and De Anza College have been very successful we're doing some type of campus housing for professional people like teachers and professors. Right. Um, maybe that's somewhat of an example of how we should look at maybe some of the new development. I don't know if the, uh, I know the plans are in the emphasis state within Daly City, whether it's ceremonies yeah. campus or whether it's a middle school in San Bruno um, or something in Brisbane. So how do you think that um, those models could fit into uh, the current situation.
1: You know, I, I do have to give a lot of credit to both the college district, Barbara Christensen, who initiated those programs, you know, many, many years ago, and what Stanford has done, uh, because I think those models are the way to go. I, I think they are the model that's being uh, looked at by some of the districts, like the Pacifica School District, which we recently helped. Uh, what's going on in Daly City at the Jefferson uh, I always get confused between the elementary and the high school district, they have the same name. Uh, but both of those are pursuing project. One of them is a slight hybrid of that same College of San Mateo model and the other one's a little bit different. But um, those models worked For If you talk to the College of San Mateo, they will credit their ability to provide housing as one of the reasons they successfully have quality professors there. And so I think our school districts um, up and down the county and throughout the Bay Area need to follow suit uh, because it is very successful and and it works.
2: Well, if we were talking, the model with Stanford um, is Stanford retains the land uh, and the existing um, structure is owned by the the teacher, the professor, and they, they hand it back either to Stanford University or they sell it to someone that is going to use it, Stanford is, in my understanding, going to build ten thousand units of some type of housing coming up, or they're in the development of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook and Google and Apple and all have talked about campus housing. Um, do you think in the campus housing role that that there should be some some type of home ownership?
1: Um, you, you know, I, I think it's very complicated to do home ownership um, for school districts and for many others because if the employee leaves uh, the organization where they're they're relying on the organization for their job and their housing, and if they leave their job or are fired or something like that, it really creates an awkward situation. If you own the unit, you're not just renting it. So how are you going to be forced to leave it? Uh Anyway, even though you own it, so it is a bit of a complicated model uh perhaps it works better at Stanford, where you have these tenured professors who are you know very likely going to stay there for a long time, whereas i sc- uh you, you know i think um, public school teachers might move around a little bit more, maybe they don't, but they might so I think it is complicated. I think it would work better on an off site location. And like I said, I think there are other models uh, where you could provide first-time homebuyer loans to them and help them um, buy an open market where if they stop teaching at your school, it's okay. Uh, they don't have to move out. They might have to refinance their loan, but they don't have to move out. And so I think those types of programs would be much more viable for ownership than trying to provide ownership housing on a school campus. Um, where I think it 's better suited for rent to, for younger teachers who wouldn 't mind living in a more um, dense uh, housing. well we used
2: to have a model and, and I know that you 're aware of, like in the city of San Mateo in certain cities where each development would build affordable housing um, and it could have been the, the over fifty five mm-hmm. um, or first time home buyer and we have projects over here off Pacific Boulevard in the Lori Meadows area, which the city of San Mateo basically said you can get in with 3%. You, you hit the medium income or you hit the age bracket, uh, and you have to sell it back to somebody that's 55. Or you, if you put it on the open market, you have to give so much of the profit back to right. the thing. Now, is that kind of gone by the wayside? or cities still doing that, or are you aware of that?
1: Um, I, I think they're doing it to some extent uh, but but it 's not as pronounced as it used to be when they had redevelopment agencies uh, you know the, the the most cities are now focusing on helping um, affordable housing developers build these larger sites or requiring market rate developers to include a certain percentage of their units as affordable um, either to low income or moderate income people so I think that 's more the model that you 're seeing now. As opposed to uh, that ownership one
2: well as you know our uh, and, and we, and the redevelopment money was during a deep recession was taken back by the state of California and obviously the intent with the redevelopment funds was is to encourage the cities to go ahead and develop affordable housing not that that was the top priority because on observation, most of them put it back into their city somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we get cities to get back on target? Because the governor is speaking about giving the, or bringing back the redevelopment money. Um, as you know, under Prop 13, some of the cities had to go back and sue the state or mm-hmm. put a put a uh, a bill a law on the books to get that money back. Yeah. So. We we're, we're very we do have the rainy day fund. I um, I think we're excited that the new governor wants to hold on to that, and not spend it. What do you think we can do? Um, so and do you think the cities should have um, the governor calls it the uh, or the people call it the carrot and stick approach? Um, and, and basically, the stick approach basically is saying if we bring the redevelopment money back or housing money from the state. We're, we, we, first of all, want you to build housing, and if you don't build housing, we'll take the transportation money away. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of that?
1: Well, look, um, starting with redevelopment, okay, um, I, I, I don't think redevelopment is realistically going to come back because the way redevelopment worked was that uh, – The tax base was frozen and everybody got their share of taxes and any new growth in the tax from a property being generated was going to go towards the redevelopment agency. So that means school districts would again have to agree to forego all that income and I just don't think uh, we're in a position with the, the way education is a priority and needs funding that school districts can ever agree. Uh, to forego their money. I don't think special districts like the Harbor District and many of the other districts that um, did not get tax increases when we had redevelopment are going to be against it. So I- I'm not incredibly hopeful of that coming back. Uh, what is go- going to happen is that cities are now have um, linkage fees on commercial development, linkage fees on affordable housing or requirements that a certain number of units be um, made available at lower to lower income people or moderate income people. I think that's where the real future is in terms of what cities are gonna be doing. Uh, in terms of the carrot and stick, you know, um, I, I'm not qualified to talk about the stick portion. I, I think the carrot is where we are. I think cities recognize the problem is there and they wanna do something about it. Uh, The state was not forcing them to pass inclusionary or or forcing them to uh, pass linkage fees. Cities did that out of their own uh, desire and their own uh, realization that the need is there. So, you know, perhaps there are some cities where you need that stick uh, for sure. But I can tell you in San Mateo County, the vast majority of our cities have passed linkage fees and other inclusionary housing and are deeply concerned about it where um, I, I don't know if it's that stick is needed in our county. Well,
2: there there is things. I had an opportunity, as I mentioned, to interview 16 mayors on the peninsula, and they all have different housing policies. So no one really has one formula that they're doing. I, I happen to live in a town called Foster City where we do 20% affordable housing, um, and sometimes that word can change to workforce housing. So with the disparity of one city may do a new project per project, or ten percent or eleven percent right. affordable housing. How do you think we can change that narrative? Because um, obviously each city is acting independently, which is good, and we're all here in it to solve it together. Should there be a percentage of housing development on on a development in a, in a city based on the units or the square footage?
1: You know, I, I actually used to, before I came to heart, I used to work for uh, cities and redevelopment agencies. And th- th- this, um, uh, this notion of one size fits all, it, is, it doesn't really work. I mean, even within one city, um, projects differ, differ. You know, one of the philosophies I have working for cities is that you don't ever want to kill a housing project. You want to get affordable housing money or units out of it but you don't want to kill a a market rate project. So we would often negotiate with the developer you know we brought in other people who knew even more finance than I did and we would figure out what was a fair amount that everybody could live with and we would um, do that a deal in that way so you know is 20 percent the right amount it certainly could be for some projects maybe even 30 percent but in some projects, you run the risk of killing the project or stalling it significantly for a number of years if you ask for even five percent. So, um, I, I think um, you can have one. I think you, we need to let our cities figure out what works best for them, and even the, the, within that parameter, they need to be able to negotiate with developers and uh, you know hit the sweet spot, make things develop, uh, but don't kill projects. You know, I think
2: that's a, that's a great comment. Um, with that said, as being in real estate for forty years one of one of the major things is being able for the developer to make some money, okay mm-hmm. so obviously on the the units that are below market rate or subsidized somehow, um uh, the developer's not making as much money right um, We seem to have a a, a a desire for people to put money up, <laughs> so I would think that you could build more affordable units if we had the developers either tax credits or some type of subsidy that would allow a higher workforce housing. Um, Obviously, the the, the factor for any development is the square footage, the number Mm -hmm. of units that you could put on too.
1: Well, you know, cities are, um, in a lot of cases, cities are waiving some fees for the affordable units that are built within the project. Um, So that is one Way that cities are subsidizing the affordable units within that. And, you know, um, quite honestly, um, when a city rezones a, a piece of land to allow more density and more housing, they're creating value out of thin air, essentially. A piece of property that was worth maybe $5 million and you can only build three stories is now worth $10 million if you can go up to six stories or something like that. So you're creating value out of thin air. So a city saying, you know, you got to put an affordable, a public benefit component into it is not asking too much. Uh, the problem is that, uh, you know... the the landowner, it's not even the developer, the landowner sees that value and says, oh, you know, my property is now worth way more, so I'm going to sell it for more. And the developer is still in that hard spot. So we got to figure out a way to um, create this value, but not give it away, um, you know, to essentially the landowners, because, you know, I, I realize developers have a bad reputation, but uh, a lot of times they're beholden to the property owners and to the uh, people financing the project who are returning. You know, the property owner wants $20 million for the property and the finan- the, the people financing want a 20% return. And so the developer takes all this risk and they're the public face and they get the bad name. But uh, frequently, it, you know, they're just responding to the underlying uh, partners. As we all
2: realize, the uh, cost of housing, uh, at least 50% of it is the land. Um, As I mentioned earlier, um, I had asked uh, at least 16 mayors on the peninsula uh, what we can do. One of the suggestions that we at podcast by the Bay made to uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, Newsom at the time, and we also made to the Board of Supervisors, is to look at the state-owned, unincorporated county and city property. We're glad to hear that in the preliminary stages, the governor is looking at that. Um last year senator wiener had a bill we interviewed senator wiener on bill eight twenty seven eight twenty seven was probably more the stick than the carrot uh in kind of scared most cities most local cities want to just like you mentioned work on it project by project not to be mandated by the state that you have to develop twenty percent or fifteen percent affordable or subsidized housing um, Senator Weiner has since uh, proposed with another senator, Bill 50. And that that bill, Senate Bill 50, if I'm understanding, is going to work in the corridor transportation areas. Are you familiar with any one of these legislations, and can you comment on them?
1: You know, I'm mildly familiar with uh, uh, the way they're progressing to build housing. And, you know, I... I am supportive that there does need to be some legislation to encourage some cities to do work. I mean, there's certainly um, bad actors across the state who uh, don't want to build housing and you need to push them into it. But uh, like I've said before, I I think cities here in San Mateo County are by far and for the most part uh, much more open and unfortunately regulations pursuing bad actors are going to affect our cities here as well. Um, But I do give them a lot of credit here in our city for for, uh, the work they've done from linkage fees, inclusionary housing, uh, and other efforts they've done for it. Can they do more? Of course they can. Everyone needs to do more. But um, I I think you'd get more cooperation out of San Mateo County cities with um, uh, incentives rather than sticks.
2: Well, how you know you guys represent probably based on my analysis anywhere from five to maybe ten percent of of, of uh, the funding to help right. things go, go. How do you think? And uh, predominantly, the money right now uh, on this uh, first-time homebuyer program or affordable rent thing is pretty much coming from the federal and state. Is that right? And, and how does that balance out? Is that how much is coming from the federal, and How much is coming from the state?
1: You know, tax credits are the the biggest portion of what goes towards developing affordable housing. And, and so they are a huge percentage. I, I think the next um, level of money is probably the private sector uh, uh, that brings in additional um, construction loans and things like that. And, and then you come down to the local level, um, you know, in the old days when we had redevelopment, it didn't take a whole lot of money. I mean, it was a whole different world. Prices were cheaper. Uh, construction costs weren't as high. So a city could get away with anywhere f- providing 5% in local funding uh, in order to make a project. Uh, that percentage has gone much, much higher. I, I think cities who want to develop an affordable housing project now have to put a minimum of 5 to $10 million into a project to get it going. So uh, that percentage is obviously... Gone up to 20 percent or more in local funding. So, the the world has changed dramatically. It is more expensive to build housing. Uh, 500, 600, maybe even 700 thousand dollars per door of affordable housing to build one. So, um, we we need federal funds. We need state funds. And the more that becomes available, the more we'll be able to do. Because, as I said, we we locally can only provide so much well it
2: it seems the integral part of the relationship happens to be where the growth is and and when we talk about the success on the um, Silicon Valley to San Francisco it's all about Google Facebook Salesforce Gilead's and Apple they're contributing millions of dollars or talking about contributing millions of dollars to housing do you th- do you think they're doing enough? And I know they're talking about a lot of campus housing, and we talked earlier about campus housing with teachers. So mm-hmm. the model seems to be uh, campus housing. And, and what integral part do you feel that these companies, uh, which are driving the economy, otherwise mm-hmm. known as FANG, mm-hmm. okay, can do? Yeah.
1: You know, th- th- these companies were quiet for a long time. Um, the need... W- um, I guess, you know, coming out of the recession, there was housing available, so they weren't too concerned about it. But I think they've finally become aware of the impact they're having in the community and that they need to play a role in solving the housing problem. So I think you're seeing Facebook, Google, Genentech and other companies starting to step up and do more for housing. Um, You know, Facebook did that. Through the the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, they they committed that fifty million dollars to housing. Uh, I think a lot of them are going to be contributing to that Casa um, um, process for uh, creating affordable housing. So I, I think they they they've taken steps in the right direction, and I hope they continue to do so because a, a one time um, contribution is not going to solve the problem. I think they need to continue to be active and involved in helping uh, address the issue.
2: Can, do you have an uh, approximate idea? Let's just look where we're, we're, you're in San Mateo County. How much housing do you think San Mateo County needs?
1: You know, uh, the, I think you're supposed to the, uh, It's. You know, it's, I can't recall the number right now, but that, that's what the Association of Bay Area Government does, ABAG. They produce the housing, it's called the, the, the acronym is RENA. It's, it stands for Regional Housing Needs Allocation. So they do the actual study of how much housing is needed by each county and by each city within that um, jurisdiction. So, you know, I, I don't want to quote the number because I don't have those off the top of my head. Um, but if you look at ABAG and look for RHNA housing, you, you'll be able to see what the expectations are for each city and each county to produce in terms of housing. And it's a lot. <laughs> it, it's um, it's a tremendous number. You know,
2: as I mentioned earlier, and, and, and the uh, governor, uh, lieutenant governor, and quite a few leaders back there in Sacramento said that the uh, amount of units that we're behind statistically is three point five million. Mm-hmm. Um, the unfortunate thing with that figure is we really don't know how much we need for senior housing, first time housing, moderate to low income. Um, so do you ha- do you have an opinion on that at all? I know that i 'm not trying to pinpoint you because yeah. we we 're narrowly just talking about San Mateo County, which encompasses about eight hundred thousand people
1: Oh boy you know it, it, it's um, we definitely have an aging population with the baby boomers um, retiring or most of them getting clo- retired already or getting clo- much closer to retirement. Um, you know, I, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but we have very inefficient um, housing utilization in, in our county. Uh, you have seniors li- living in big houses um, because they can't afford to move, because it's too expensive to buy something new, or, or, or many complications. They rather age in place, and, and so, and then you have younger families and uh, people who want to form families who need that housing, but cannot afford it and cannot live in it. So we we have a a, a disconnect in in housing that we have. So we absolutely need senior housing. We need senior housing for uh, low-income seniors who are renting and are getting priced out and are spending huge amounts of money uh, of, of their housing. So we need housing for them, but we also need to create housing opportunities for seniors who live in these bigger homes to move to these uh, better facilities that are more accessible closer to shopping and transportation so they're well, part of the,
2: part, being part of the baby boomer generation I'll tell you that what's happened with the housing they don't want to move is because they don't want to pay taxes and they love the bay area so the major thing is they're not building housing uh, without consequences for the for the uh, Baby boom. Because if the baby boomer sells their house, then they don't, they don't want to pay all those taxes. Right. So, so somehow we've got to look at that imbalance of the taxation situation. Because I think fifty, if if I'm not, if I'm, I think fifty to sixty percent of the senior citizens in San Mateo County own their own homes or have a small mortgage on it. Yeah. So, I think you're right. Your your point is well taken. We have an imbalance of housing. You're absolutely right. Um, you have people that are seniors that are in a, a four bedroom, two bath. Or somebody living in Atherton that's got a, a, a big mansion on there that they don't, they don't really need. So we have an imbalance on housing, but I think we also have an imbalance on the tax system. Everybody's enjoying the economy while it keeps going up in value, but nobody wants to pay taxes.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, that's an unfortunate thing. And, um, you know, I don't know a lot about tax policy, but um, that that is definitely one of the issues that... Um, People are trying to avoid taxes, and and you're kind of handcuffed into your housing situation when you do have um, uh, wealth already.
2: Well, it's going real well, and um, I'm I'm excited to to live in San Mateo County in the Bay Area to see all the people, um, uh, the private people that are donating money to housing as well as your Facebook, your Google and stuff. Um, but they're also using that same model that we talked about earlier, which is uh, campus type of housing. Um, like I said my concern as a as a real estate uh, business person for over 40 years is just uh, is home ownership. Um, obviously we're building rentals the, the next time we have uh, a slight dip in the economy uh, we're going to have a lot of rental units that are available so we're not going to have a lot of home ownership but we're going to have rentals so Somehow I I would like to see a more balanced situation, and I think you said some of the teachers were talking about if they were going to be on campus housing, they they would like some form of ownership. Yeah,
1: Um, you know, you're absolutely right, a lot of rental housing is um, being developed and and it's becoming the the vast majority of what, what we're seeing in new product. And it's unfortunate, and I and I agree with you because you know the best way to build wealth in this country is through ownership, and if we can't create those opportunities, then um, you know we're essentially uh, having this whole generation in the Bay Area be confined to rental for a long time or or maybe forever. Uh, one of the things I'd like to see, and you know, again, it's a little bit out of my lane, but. Uh, It'd be great to see if some of these rental projects being developed now, if they're built to condo standards so that after those 10 years and the insurance thing uh, ends with with these projects, um, that they can convert to condominiums uh, and provide ownership opportunities for people. So, um, you know, one day when I retire, you know, I'd like to move to some city and, and buy one of those. But like you said, they're all rentals right now. So how would I be able to buy a condominium. Uh, when I moved, well, I think
2: that's a, a very, uh, a very thoughtful comment. Um, as you realize, in 2008, when the uh, economy went down and some of the houses were being foreclosed on, actually, some people did that. There was a uh, development up there on uh, De Anza Boulevard uh, that he turned them into rental units, and then when the economy turned, he turned them in for sale units. So yeah. I think that's, I think that's a great idea. Can you explain um, the layers of, of, your, of your, your money? Because I think you, 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 you explained um, that when you lend some money or give some money for a development of a rental, that there's a, a, a layer that they keep that money or use that money to bring that below market rent down. Mm-hmm. Explain how that works.
1: Okay, so when you build an affordable housing development, it takes, it's called the capital stack, that you have to bring in a variety of funding sources in order to make a project. And that includes um, state uh, tax credits, as I mentioned, which is the the biggest um, portion of that stack. You have to have local county money, you have to have some city money, uh, you have to have some private entity money. Uh, and then you have you for the early stages you need somebody like uh, like Hart who provides uh, uh, initial loan to get the project started. So there's this whole layer of, of um, funding sources. Um, Hart's role is really at the start. Uh, it's very risky early on to fund a project because you know it has to go through the community process and what happens if it gets shot down and you can't develop nobody wants to put that early money in Uh, we do our due diligence and we address it but we provide that early stage money uh, to get it started and then once it gets past that early stage like i said that's when the city money the county money uh, the state credits and all this other money the doors open for that and it becomes available and that's when affordable housing developers bring all this money together and that is your permanent money for 55 years of affordability and you know we play a small role but I think it's a very critical role in that early stage to uh, start the project
2: okay I want to touch on something that I think that that some people feel Um, do we really have a housing crisis or do we really have a housing crisis and a transportation crisis um, if, if, if we assume that 35 to 40% of the people that come into the uh, Silicon Valley, San Mateo County, and San Francisco are coming from outside areas, um, and is it the inefficiency of our transportation system to get them out? Predominant thing was we still have the single driver driving in and out. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Um, we definitely have a transportation problem. We have a public transit problem, uh, and we have a housing problem, and, and they're um, they're linked together. It, it, it's it's impossible. Um, you know, we have to build more around transit housing. But just like I said about um, seniors living in, in these big homes, I think we also have to have a mindset as individuals and be more willing to have a little bit of inconvenience for the greater good. Um, You know, I used to, I live in San Francisco and I used to commute here to San Mateo, our office by Hillsdale, um, everyday driving, single driver like everybody else. The traffic became unbearable. I now take BART and Caltrain here and it takes me longer. uh, But, you know, at first, after being inconvenienced, feeling inconvenienced doing that, I now love it. I wouldn't go back to driving. It takes me 15 minutes longer, but I arrive at the office refreshed. I arrive at home refreshed because I'm not stressed out from that. So, yes, we have a transportation problem and uh, we have a housing problem, but we also have a people problem is that we need to adjust and be willing to sacrifice some of our conveniences in order to make public transit work and to make housing work better uh, in these areas. So, Well, let me ask
2: you a question on that. Um, I'm passionate about it, so is my listeners, and so is mm-hmm. the people in the Bay Area. Uh, San Mateo County has a Clipper card, and that's probably the only real big success we're talking about. I have yeah. a Clipper card, and I use public transportation as much as I can. When I interview Senator <laughs> Wiener and, and uh, Assemblyman Chu, I went in and took, uh, took the BART. Uh, yeah. So I, I try to encourage that, too. But when BART and Sam trams and Caltrains are all fighting for the same federal and state tax dollar based on ridership, um, currently we do not have a transit district in San Mateo County or Santa Clara County. Um, don't you think it would be a smart move on, on the surrounding cities that we develop a transit district that intertwines the public transportation? We interviewed on podcast by the Bay, Seamus Murphy. Uh, which is the communication director. We encourage you to listen to it. Uh, A couple of the statements that he said, first of all, he said Samtram is for the poor and the disabled. The Samtram is not a transit system that most people will take because of its inefficiency. Um, I'm happy to say we interviewed Carl Gardino on Regional Measure uh, 9, which passed uh, the electrification of Caltrans, and I'm excited about that. But we still don't have Bart down here on the peninsula. Uh, and we still, if we take a look at the corridor of, of traffic, it's a north or south direction, not right. going more than probably 40 to 50 miles either direction. But we have a gridlock on, on the peninsula, whether it's north or south on 101 or east and west on 92. Yeah. Any, any solution. I'm not trying. I know you're in housing. Yeah. But the housing is coordinated with this issue that we have a transportation. Because if the transportation moved efficiently,
1: would we be having the housing problem? Um, you know, probably not, because, um, you know, San Francisco has a transit first policy. Um, they have made it unbelievably painful to drive there. Um, driving a mile in San Francisco, you know, you just, <laughs> just want to die because it's so bad. Uh, they are forcing people into public transit, and it's becoming more efficient. Uh, so that, that that's working better. I don't know that we can do that in the peninsula. But, you know, to say you're coming that we need a regional transportation entity, is I, I think we do. You know, uh, one of our employees at Hart works uh, used to live in New York. And there, New York, they have one transit agency that manages everything, and it, they're better able to coordinate. Um, you know, the frustration I have sometimes making my transit from BART to Caltrain, it's like, you know, I, one's pulling into the station and the other one's pulling out, and I'm just like, you know, pulling my hair out. <laughs> well, thank you for
2: sharing that because, you know, I'm enthusiastic about it and hopefully the word gets out. Mm-hmm. Um, we also sure. interviewed a, a, a council person in Woodside, David Tanner. And you know, I would like you to listen to him okay. because he came up with an idea. Uh, near the uh, Tamforan Shopping Center, they're planning the to level it. But he came up with a super bullet train aspect or uh, system that would drop off every 20 or 25 minutes. The people that come from the Gilroy or the Vallejo or the Stockton. So, so I, I'm, I'm I'm excited to, to hear that you you think we can somehow get our act together on transportation, we could relieve some of the stress on the housing situation and make a much more efficient transit system so people can get out of their cars.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, with the electric. whenever I make a, my complaint about the tra- transfer between BART and the train, people always tell me, well, when we electrify the train, there will be more consistent trains, and it will improve the system and make it better. Uh, expansion of the system is also good, Um you know, I, I was listening to um, Supervisor or um, uh, Scott, Senator Scott Weiner uh, at one place, and you know, he was talking about how, you know, if Livermore and some of these further outreach cities provided more housing density, then he would be more open to having BART go all the way over there. But, you know, if they're not going to build high density, why spend the billions of dollars to get BART all the way over there? So I, I think that's absolutely true. You know, we have to tie the two together transit and housing with density that well i like your concept
2: of we have to sacrifice a little bit from our own perspective and once we see that we realize the more positive things that we that we can develop right on behalf of podcast by the bay i want to thank you for spending uh, your time with me and i appreciate your frankness and your answers and we look forward to all our listeners listening to you do you want to give a little commercial for heart tell people where your website is
1: yeah, it's um, heartofsmc.org. And, you know, for, for the general public, I think our best program is the first-time homebuyer program. Look into that. Uh, if you're a developer, we're here to help. <laughs>
2: On behalf of Podcast by the Bay, I want to thank Armando for participating.
0: Well, that was the artist known as Shoka performing the piece entitled Timeless. And you can find out more about the artist Shoka on the Highway Soul music page at highwaysoul.com. All right. Well, thanks for listening. And you can always check us out 24 hours a day, seven days a week on any of the podcast sites, Podbean, Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. And you can follow us on Twitter. Please follow us on Twitter. At Podcast by the Bay as our handle. We, uh, we're always keeping up to date on all the issues and some of the important things. Follow us, friend us, everything else. So with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off, and we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.